Welcome back to the Everything That Came Before Grace podcast. I'm Bill C. So, we're still in the college years, and we jump forward now to October 1997. It's senior year. Anna and Keith are on track to become lawyers, but Benjamin doesn't really have a plan. Growing up, he didn't have structure, so he never valued having a plan. Plus, he's cut himself off from what remains of his family, so he has to work, whereas Anna has sent a stipend to live off of, and Keith inherited a good amount from his dad. So, in this chapter, Benjamin, Anna, and Keith are headed downtown to Bar Hop, and then plan to see the Melvins at Al's Bar. Now, if you grew up in L.A. and started going out in the 80s or 90s, there's a lot that will be familiar about where they go. That's one of the things I really wanted to bring out in this book. Kind of like make L.A. a character in itself. Make the car and the songs that play a character in itself. Anyway, the three of them, they hit the oldest bar in L.A., Cole's, and then go shoot pool at the Biltmore, then head off for Al's bar. But they get lost, never make it. Remember, this is still before GPS when he had to ask for directions to get anywhere. And if anyone ever tried to find Al's bar back then, you know, getting lost was just part of the journey. So they end up at the King Eddie bar, and while a strange lady comes on to Keith, Benjamin and Anna go outside to get some air, and Benjamin asks Anna a question. So let's get into it. This is Chapter 6, Hanging Downtown. Chapter 6, Hanging Downtown, October 17, 1997 Senior year just started. I'm trying not to think about what's going to happen after we all graduate in June. Anna and Keith are going to law school, but me? I've got no plan. I'd be happy to just do what most college kids do and leech off their parents or do some bullshit part-time campus job but I have to make real money. I've cut myself off from my grandparents and there's no one else to turn to. Keith and Anna don't have money problems. He inherited a good amount from his dad and Anna's mom sends her a stipend. After my morning classes, I run off to my windowless day job as a file clerk for a personal injury attorney. My boss is one of those workaholics with a phone permanently glued to his ear. If you don't mind an egomaniac with a Napoleonic complex who waves you off every time you try to talk to him, he's ideal. I'm counting down the hours, fighting a cold, so every minute feels like an hour. Ann and Keith are picking me up from work tonight. We're going downtown to bar hop and then to see the Melvins at Al's bar. I share a desk with this guy who calls himself Stoner Dave. Our cheap-ass boss doesn't pay for our parking, so we have to go and move our cars every two hours. I've already got 26 parking tickets this year. We go to his truck and get stoned while he plays hardcore punk at high volume. 
Not even good punk, obnoxious shit like the Mentors and Black Flag after they slowed everything down to sludge. Today, my boss handed me a small sealed white paper bag and told me to deliver it to his doctor down the street. On my way there, I got curious and peeked inside the bag. It was his stool sample. A new client came in today. My boss had me sit in on the meeting and take notes. He asked the client what's hurting, and the guy goes, Well, my neck hurts a little. I look over at my boss, and he starts shaking his head and has a pained expression on his face. He then proceeds to recite all the parts of the body that hurt, or may hurt, at some point. As he says this, he motions to me to write this down so the client can use it as a script to tell the doctor and a trial. Then he adds, you know, you could have brain damage too. I try not to think about whether I'm an accomplice to making auto insurance rates go up. Still, it's better than my last job. I was an assistant for a personal manager who represented aspiring actresses. I answered fan mail and forged autographs onto headshots. Pretty benign, except for the letters from the jails. One of the actresses did this poster in a bikini that got circulated around to the prisons. The letters always start off all sweet and romantic, you know, like, Oh, baby, I would take you out for a nice candlelit dinner and show you what a real gentleman is like. Then every time it turns all dark and twisted. All this shit about how they'd fuck her three different ways. Pretty sure the letters could shut down any claim they'd been rehabilitated at a parole hearing. I couldn't take it anymore, so I quit, and then Anna got me this file clerk gig. Benjamin, the receptionist, buzzes me. Your girl's here. I come out, and Anna's wearing the fedora I gave her for her birthday. Three years later, and she still makes my heart stop. Hey, you, I say, leaning in to kiss her. Baby, no, she says, backing away. I don't want to get sick. I don't know why you never go to the doctor. You know I have to be on my deathbed. It's just going to get worse, she says, pushing the elevator button. Give me a break. I had to take a stool sample to my boss's doctor today. What? Never mind. Where's Keith? Downstairs, parked in the alley. It's funny thinking about all that angst between the three of us early on. We're like family now. After Keith's dad died, Anna and I had adopted him into the father-shaped hole club. It manifests itself differently in each of us, but we're all colored by that absence in our hearts. It's lurking under the surface in everything we do and say. Keith has some shitty pop song on as we pile into his truck. I reach from the back seat to change it to K-Rock. Beck's new pollution is on. I was listening to that, Keith protests, as he turns on to sunset, and we start the long slog eastbound through rush hour traffic. I thought we made this clear, I say. You stick to driving looking pretty. I handle the music, I tell him. Anna smiles, bemused, grooving to the music. She's used to our banter. So what's the plan, Keith asks. I've always wanted to go to Coles, I say. Supposed to be the oldest bar in L.A. I'm always down for anything old L.A., Anna says, checking herself in the side mirror. But let's first eat if we're going to drink tonight. 
if, Keith says. Is there a question? Fiona Apple's criminal comes on, and I roll down my window as we slowly pass the rainbow, the Roxy, the whiskey, and Tower Records on the left, then glance over at Book Soup on the right. Coles has food, I offer. Supposedly they made the first French dip, even before Philippe's. What's Philippe's, Keith asks. Come on, this is important L.A. history here, I scold. Philippe's is quintessential. The pantry, Clifton's Cafe. You guys have been in L.A. for three years. Let's get with it. Anna's used to my raving and changes the subject. I can't believe I'm starting to see ads for Christmas already. It's not even Halloween yet, she says. Are you going to spend Christmas with me this year, I ask. I want to, but you know my mom. She'd never forgive me if I didn't spend it with her. You could join us. Thanks, but you know she doesn't like me, I say. It's not that she doesn't like you, Benjamin. She just doesn't think anyone is good enough. She'd have a problem with Jesus. It's fine, I say. I gotta stay down here and work. I barely made rent this month. Always welcome at my place, Keith chimes in. You know I'm not going home. Anna turns around to face me and says, I'm staying down here for Thanksgiving. We could go away that weekend. You always wanted to take me to Joshua Tree. Yeah, I ask, pausing to think. Hey, we could stay at the Joshua Tree Inn where Graham Parsons died. Mm, so romantic, she says, rolling her eyes. Wait a minute, I say. What about the time you dragged me off to Hollywood Forever Cemetery to find Judy Garland and Rudolph Valentino's grave? Yeah, but it's not like I want to set up some candles for a romantic dinner on their gravestones. Okay, okay, we'll find another place. But yeah, let's do it, I say. I'm excited. She leans over the back seat to kiss me. I thought you didn't want to get sick, I say. You know I can't resist you, she says, smiling. Don't worry about me, Keith says. I'll just go to Denny's and have Thanksgiving there. Okay, Eeyore, we won't worry about you, Anna says, mimicking the Winnie the Pooh character's voice. It's dark when we finally get downtown. We find a place along 6th Street, and on the walk to Cole's, we're accosted by an old rummy hitting us up for some money. Keith steps in front of us and stares him down, and the guy bumbles away. Very gallant of you, Keith, I say, but I think we could have taken him. Yeah, Benjamin could have subdued him with his infamous Chinese wrist burn. Anna cracks. Well, you're both fucking welcome, Keith says, waving us off. We poke our heads inside, and the place is about half full. Looks like regulars. No touristy types. Keith and I sit on opposite sides of Anna at the bar, and I order Glenlivet's for Keith and me in a Manhattan, Anna's favorite. Dancing in the moonlight comes on the jukebox, and I say, Oh my God, this song makes me think of summer nights and my mom throwing parties, everyone getting stoned. How old were you, Anna asked, taking a sip from her Manhattan. Mm, must have been five or six. No rules back then. No rules now, Keith adds, as we clink glasses. I thought you were bringing Gina tonight, I asked Keith. Yeah, that didn't work out, he says, swirling a scotch around. Wait, I thought her name was Nicole, Anna says. That was a girl ago. You gotta keep up, I say. We need to find someone for you, she says. What can I say? There's no one out there like you, eh? He says. Boys, there's enough of me to go around for everyone, she says, putting her arms around us both. 
Keith can find his own girl, I say, trying not to sound territorial. He's just not very good at keeping one. We never go around to eating and decide to walk over to the Biltmore so I can show Anna some more of old L.A. We drink martinis and shoot pool until we wear out our welcome among the stuffy elite, and we decide to head off for the show. On the walk back to the car, we all drunkenly sing the Brady Bunch theme, so loud it echoes off the sides of the skyscrapers back at us. You okay to drive, I ask Keith, as we pile in. More than you, he says, as Bittersweet Symphony comes on the radio. Ben, do you know where this place is, Keith asks. Yeah, turn here, then just stand forth, I tell him. We drive for a while, then Anna remarks, it looks like an industrial wasteland down here. Yeah, seriously, Blade Runner, Keith says. Don't worry, I assure Keith. Everyone always gets lost on the way, then it just magically appears. We roll along Forest Street for a while, but we still don't see Al's bar. Dude, we're lost, Keith announces, sounding annoyed. We're not lost, I say without conviction. This always happens, Anna says. Yeah, Mr. L.A. history here, Keith says, and he can never get us anywhere without sending us in circles. There's a payphone, I say, pointing up the block. Pull over. I climb out and walk over to the phone booth, but someone stole the phone book. I drop a quarter in and dial 411. I ask for the number of Al's bar and dial. Al's bar, a man answers, straining to speak over the music blaring. Hey, I need directions, I say. We're on 4th Street. Just go to the Atomic Cafe, then ask them. But how do you get to the Atomic Cafe, I ask. Click. Hello? I slowly walk back to the car, shaking my head. So? Anna calls out. Did you get the directions? Not exactly, I say, as Keith pulls away from the curb, muttering. Hold up, I'll ask him, I say, pointing at a guy standing in the corner. Keith pulls over. Hey, bro, I say to him. You know where Al's bar is? No, man, he says, looking around as he leans against the passenger door. You guys want some bonita? Nah, we're good, I tell him, then hiss at Keith. Pull away, dude. Pull away. What's Bonita, Anna asks. Heroin, I say. He tried to sell us heroin, Anna says. Seriously, can we go home now? That's not that unusual down here, I say. Oh, there's Alameda Street. Turn here. We drive for a few minutes, then Keith points ahead and says, Ben, that's Union Station. Even I know we're going in the opposite direction. Okay, okay. Turn here, I say. Dude, we're not doing this anymore, he says. Don't bail now, I say. Who are the Melvins, anyway? Some Nirvana wannabe, Anna says. Not even, I say. Kurt Cobain stole from the Melvins. Whatever. Grunge is dead, Keith says. Yeah, but the Melvins never got their due, I protest. Ben, no one cares, he says, turning on to Fifth Street. We're all silent as we drive through Skid Row and all the homeless encampments. All right, I'm pulling rank, Keith finally says. Let's just find a bar and get fucked up. I'm starving, Anna says. Oh, there's the King Eddie, I say. That's cool and divey. And look, there's a roach coach parked outside. We can get some tacos or something. We park, and after scarfing down some pretty horrible tacos, we poke our heads inside the bar. It's dark and dank, packed with a mix of old drunks and hipsters. Sinatra's I've Got You Under My Skin is on the jukebox. This place reminds me of Barfly, Anna says. Yeah, 
I could see Bukowski drinking here, I concurred. A scary woman, well over six feet, with a bull-nosed ring and desperately needing a dentist, takes an immediate liking to Keith. While we go through three rounds, we confess our first crush, our first kiss, and what our last meal on earth would be until we're all pretty trashed. Come on, Anna says, taking my hand. There's literally no air in here. Let's go outside. As I follow her, I look back at Keith, who has the Amazon woman on his lap now, and a helpless look on his face. Anna and I take a seat on the curb out front. That's better. I was about to pass out, she says, taking her fedora off and putting it on me. I rest my head on her shoulder and feel the alcohol and exhaustion settle in. It's that perfect phase where you're just lubricated enough to say anything, but not quite to the point you sound stupid saying it. So, are you going to be able to handle me loving you till the end of time? You're that sure, are you, she says. Sure as the day is long, I say. How about a smooch? Come here, she says, and we kiss. I love you, eh? You know I'd be lost without you. Baby, I love you too, but why do you always make it sound like I'm doing you a favor? I don't know. I guess I always feel like I got lucky that first day we met. Fooled you just long enough to get you under my spell. But how are we ever going to be on level ground unless you let go of that? You don't have to always try so hard, okay? We pause to watch the traffic slowly roll by. She takes my hand and looks at it like she's reading my palm. So, can I tell you something, she asks. Don't freak out. What? My advisor hit on me. I knew that dick was a pervert, I say. Would you calm down? I handled it. Don't have a freaking cow. Keith and I will go down there and scare the shit out of that fuck. Can you please stop with the dude talk? So not attractive. I'm not some defenseless little waif. I can fight my own battles. I know you can, but just, just let me tear the patches off his stupid tweed coat. Stop. I have to get through the rest of the school year with this guy. But I like being all mafia when it comes to you. Anyone fucks with you? They're dead to me. Okay, Bugsy Seagull. I rest my head back down on her shoulder as we try to ignore the stench of trash and piss all around us. Don't forget I have my presentation tomorrow, she tells me. I don't know if I can get there. I've got to work. Baby, you said you'd be there. I always feel more confident when you're with me. You do? I ask, surprised. Yes. You always seem so fierce and confident, I say. Sometimes I forget that other side of you. You gotta tell me when you need me. Well, I need you, she says. Okay, I say, putting her fedora back on her head. I'll be there. Promise. We go back to watching people walk in the street and the cars narrowly missing them. People yelling, horns honking, laundry lines hanging from the buildings. It feels like it's 50 years ago down here. Looks like the end of Chinatown. Hey, I forgot to tell you, I finally watched Splendor in the Glass. Oh yeah? What did you think of it, she asked. You didn't tell me Natalie Wood went crazy, I say. Well, that's not why I love the film. What's wrong, she asked. It scared me if you want to know the truth. Why? Because you said you identified so much with her character and how much the mom reminded you of your mom. 
Yeah. Well, the mom is so controlling and horrible, I say. And I started remembering all those times he said your mom told you to be more practical instead of letting you pursue your dreams. Yeah, well, she says, trailing off. Baby, I just want to make sure you know I'd never do that to you. I'd never try and control you like that or tell you that you couldn't do something you loved. What am I going to do with you, she says, sighing. Listen, I say, taking her hand. What if I ask you to marry me? Stop it, she says. I mean, like whenever you're ready, you know. Are you being serious right now? Yeah, I'm being serious. You could say maybe, like Elaine told Benjamin in The Graduate. She looks at me, then gives me a smile. Okay, maybe. So we might be engaged, I ask, giving her a sheepish grin. Yes, baby, we might be engaged. But what makes you sure I'm the one? Because our love is one for the ages, I say. But how do you know, she says. Because I see it. I've seen it from the moment we met. One day when we're old and finishing each other's sentences, we'll sit on a bench holding hands with our fedoras and overcoats and look at our scrapbook of madness and laugh about all of this. You're too much, she says, leaning in for a kiss. Key stumbles through the doorway, bellowing, Hey, nice of you two to leave me in there with that Amazon chick. Hey, big news, my friend. Ace says she might marry me. I'm counting on you to be my best man. You guys are sloshed, he says. Let's get out of here. Anna and I watch Keith take a few steps down the block before pausing to look around. Where the fuck's my truck, he calls out. Hey, Keith made a rhyme, Anna says. We both start laughing uproariously. I start singing in a country drawl. Couldn't find my truck. Guess I'm plumb out of luck. While you two are cracking wise, Keith says, you may have noticed my fucking truck has vanished. You know, the truck we need to get home. I struggle to my feet and walk over to read the street sign. Dude, this is a towway zone. Man, you really fucked up. You said I could park here, he says. That's what I'm saying. You fucked up. You trusted me. This is fucking great, Keith says.